What we're dealing with here, glittering ass, is a complete lack of respect for the law and smoking the reef. Call the dust pump. We live in a society of laws. That pump? Yeah. No, that's not real. This thing a weed. Takes one solid weekend of training to get that bag. Hello, ladies and gents. Welcome back to the Police Academy podcast. It has been quite some time since we put out a show. Um, If you are an old listener and you're just waiting for the next new show to come out, then it's really been a long time since you've heard my velvety voice. But uh, all kidding aside, I'm glad you're still here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your support. If you're a member, even more so, I uh, appreciate you guys still being uh, part of what we're doing at Police Academy. And uh, if you're not a member, we do have the membership still available. It's at patreon.com. Um, our membership now is basically, hey, I want to support what Police Academy is doing. It's $4 a month. It gives you access to our private chat server and to discounts on our um, good, strong, free product line on the website. Um, outside that, that's basically it, right? Like there's we we had grand designs for a lot more going on in our membership, but um, alluding back to what I talked about earlier, being busy, it's just not possible to create the extra content required. So if you want to support the show, it's four bucks a month. Um, you can get some discounts on our merch, and which is available at the website, policeacademypodcast.com. Go to the store, check out these shirts. And the only thing I'm going to say on that on those is that I, I wear them basically every time I go to work out. They're very form-fitting shirts, and they are the most comfortable t-shirts I think I've ever owned in my life. Uh, so uh, I, I know I'm biased, but go check them out. Uh, see what you think for yourself. Policeacademypodcast.com slash GSF, I believe is the URL. I should know this. Really, I really should. But uh, just go to the website, policeacademypodcast.com, and check out the store. You'll find it there. All right. Uh, without further ado, I would like to introduce our illustrious guest today, Dr. Jeremy Butler. Um, one thing I'll point out about our conversation, since we just had it, um, is we we kind of jump into defund the police discussion at the beginning, and it comes all the way back around to it at the end in a really cool way. So stay tuned for that part. And outside that, I hope you all enjoy the show, and uh, we'll see you all on the flip side. Well, ladies and gents, thanks for joining us again. Uh, today, I am speaking with Dr. Jeremy Butler. Uh, he is a college professor, author, public speaker, and control tactics instructor. He also has a background in law enforcement, spent seven years as a police officer, um, and has done martial arts, been involved in martial arts for over 20 years, which is a huge aspect of what he um, is doing today. So thank you for joining us today. Um, let's jump into the one question that is is most burning um, from what I know from what you sent me, which is you had an experience as a child with the police and that kind of changed the direct trajectory of your life. So share with us what that was and how that affected you. Yes. Um, well, thank you for having me um, for this interview. And so I had actually two experiences. One was extremely negative experience, and the other one was a pretty positive experience. Uh, so my initial experience with 
law enforcement uh, was honestly the first and only time I've ever had a gun pulled on me. And so I was probably about 13 years old and I uh, was essentially walking out of my house um, where I was, so I was reaching essentially in my pockets because I thought I had locked the door to my to to my uh, house. And as I stepped out, I heard a loud screeching sound, followed by the commands to get my hands up. Uh, and I look up, there's an officer standing out with his gun pointed at me. He told me to step off the steps of my porch. I stepped down uh, and then he starts frisking me and reaches in my pockets, pull everything out of my pockets. Of course, he finds nothing. Uh, and he's like, well, why'd you reach in your pockets like that and, and look at me? I thought you had a gun. And so this was, again, this is my first interaction with any law enforcement. And it's the only time I'd ever really, uh, the only time I've ever had a gun pulled on me or ever seen a gun at that point in my life, right? Mm -hmm. So with that, that led to a lot of sort of resentment toward law enforcement for obvious reasons. I mean, I grew up on the South side of Chicago, so there was already that negative, you know, perspective, but this just made it significantly, you know, worse. And so, so that was my my introduction, really, to to any interaction with police officers. Mm -hmm. um, and ironically, fast forward approximately ten years, I find myself at Illinois State University uh, as a graduate student, and I met the chief of police there. And he, after I graduated, he was you know basically talking to me about what am I doing moving forward, um, and I was like, I want to teach martial arts. This is what I do. This is actually how I met him. So teaching martial arts on ISU campus. And he was like, you know, have you ever thought about law enforcement? And I said, you know, to be honest, no, I haven't. Um, <laughs> due to these experiences that I brought up. Yeah. And he's like, I want to talk to you. So we met in his office and he kind of sold me on the idea of the career. You know, he's like, I think this would be a great fit for you. I understand your negative experiences with law enforcement, but really, if we want to improve the nature of this field, we have to have more representation, more minority representation in the field. And he basically he basically sold me on the on the idea. And then within probably eight months, I was at the police academy. Nice. Um, and that gets to a, a little bit a little bit of a tangent, but I do want to touch on it because it is such a big topic right now, and that is. Um, the defund slash abolish, which is actually um, a, a pretty astonishing contention that we should abolish the police uh, just mm -hmm. outright. Um, it kind of touches on that because, you know, your negative experience certainly and understandably um, caused you to have a very negative perception of the police. Um, but you chose to recognize that, like, hey, we still you apparently recognize that we do need cops and that mm -hmm. we need good cops um, and officers that recognize or, or understand the different groups, um, different backgrounds of people that we have in the, in the United States. So what, what is your kind of take on the defund abolish police movement? Um, just the general idea in that area. Um. I think, and I actually wrote an article on this a couple of years ago, ironically. Um, I think that 
it depends on what the person means by deep. First of all, abolish is absolutely not, right? I, I don't think that's a, a realistic approach at all. But the idea of defunding the police, I think people have different definitions for what that what that means, right? So if we are saying we're saying that we're gonna change the nature of the type of calls that police respond to and whatever funding was allocated toward those type of services, give it to a different sector. That I can understand. So, for example, if you know those who are of the belief that certain mental health calls, for the sake of example, could be handled by a mental health professional, like right? a, a special unit that actually responds to those calls, mm -hmm. and we take a particular budget, you know, from law enforcement that may have been allocated toward those type of resources and give it to that division, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. But the idea of just you know, removing funds from an already largely underfunded <laughs> field, because right. we have to remember that majority of police departments are less than 25 officers, right? So oftentimes there's this viewpoint of these large agencies with these big budgets, when that's not the reality when we're talking about the majority of agencies in this country. Mm -hmm. um, so, if we're, so if you're having that, if we're talking about defunding those type of uh, departments, then I think that's a problem. And if anything, my view is there needs to be more funding directed toward proper training for officers, not less funding. Right. right. So again, it depends on the nature of the conversation. Right. Um, 100%. And I mean, even the large departments that do have what seem to be huge budgets, um, when you talk to those officers, I mean, these these officers are overworked, undertrained, Um yeah, the budget might be big, but it's because it's a massive, you know, they're employing hundreds or thousands of officers. Um, and yeah, the so my take on defund is, again, nuance, just like you said, it's like, what do you mean by that? Um, and ultimately, it's like, well, maybe we just need to fund these other social um, kind of social organizations that that we do need to help our communities be healthier uh w which the state has failed to do for you know generation after generation after generation so it's like the police are getting called in to handle these things that you know i think most cops would agree that they don't really want to be dealing with all of these other things outside of what cops really sign up to do um and so i i feel like most cops would welcome this idea that um, and I, I do want to hear your instinct on this because mine is that most cops would agree that, hey, you want to fund these other organizations that are going to take the load off of us so we can do the job we signed up to do, then go for it. Do you Absolutely. think that's accurate? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's what it what it really comes down to, right? Like, um, again, wh where the problem lies is when you are removing funding from law enforcement, but you are having them maintain the same responsibilities that they previously had. But if you are removing funding and you are removing a particular responsibility in that sector, mm -hmm. of course, I think most law enforcement would be okay with that. And I think many officers may even feel, and I can't speak for, for officers, but I, I speculate that they feel that certain calls are, would be better suited for a specialist, right? So mm -hmm. we, we live in an age where oftentimes it's expected that officers do everything. And the reality is, I don't think that's realistic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and which gets to the abolishment kind of aspect. People, if people realize what cops do day in and day out, not just 
have a perspective that's based on what they see on social media, they would understand that the the idea of not having police officers, period, is essentially the end of society as we know it. It's just, it's completely historically ignorant. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, so let's jump into why martial arts. So you, uh, you had these experiences as a kid, you ended up, uh, at, you know, as an adult coming out of your graduate degree going, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to invest in this career field. Um, and then martial arts came into that picture somewhere as well. So why, um, why is martial arts such an important aspect of, um, I guess, one of the ways that you see that can really help police officers do their job better and and survive the stress of the job? Okay, so for me, martial arts was pretty life-changing, right? And it's, it's so ironic how all of this is so connected, right? So uh, around the time I had this experience with law enforcement, um, this was also around the time I got gotten jumped by a gang in, in my neighborhood. And so the crazy thing is, it's like the people that I felt were there to serve and protect me, arguably victimized me as bad or if not worse than the, you know, the people that were in the community that I was in. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of led to a vulnerability that made me develop this fascination with martial arts, whether consciously or subconsciously, just this idea of wanting to be able to protect myself and not have these experiences again, not feel the way that I felt, those vulnerabilities that I felt, right? So I've been doing martial arts since I was 12 years old. So it's it's been a passion of mine most of my life. And um, so for law enforcement, you know, what I kind of came to realize is as a cop, I noticed that the training was nowhere near as consistent as I felt it would be considering the things that we were asked to do, right? Mm -hmm. Most police encounters that are use of force related are going to be less lethal force encounters. They're going to be situations where the officer is is grabbed, punched, kicked, or the subject is simply trying to get away and the officer needs to subdue them, Mm -hmm. right? So most of these situations, these would require, generally speaking, obviously circumstances are going to dictate the tactics, but generally speaking, they're going to at least start with a non-lethal option. Uh, And considering that there isn't much consistency and training resources afforded to officers in many departments, I think martial arts offers a good solution to that problem, right? An, an officer who commits a couple of days a week in uh, a particular martial art of their choice, there are some, I just wrote a book on this called Stop Resisting, right? Really addressing what are the best arts for cops and why uh, is this a true method of improving an officer's control tactics? and building community trust. Um, but I think finding a martial art that they enjoy and committing some time to it a couple of days a week or more will help mitigate this issue of a lack of training in, in the department. So so this is like my my vision for that is, is seeing more officers use the martial arts community to, uh, to really help improve their control tactics and help uh, build community relations. Because if you think about it, if you have an officer who's training, let's say it's a, lo- a local Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school, for the sake of example, mm-hmm. right? They're training a local Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school a couple of days a week. They're going to get some foundational control tactics, right? That's going to help them on the job. Now, obviously, they have to make adaptations to what they're learning to make it fit a law enforcement specific context. 
but they're mm-hmm. getting regular exercise and they're getting these moments where they're engaging in an active struggle with another resisting person, just as similar to what they would on a job uh, on a regular basis, right? And they're at the point where they are able to uh, have these interactions with the public outside of their role as a police officer. So imagine mm-hmm. you got a guy who may have had negative experiences with police, but who trains at the same martial arts school, and then they find out that this guy that they've been training with for several months, several weeks, whatever, is a cop, right? So now you're getting this opportunity to have these conversations outside of your official capacity. So it's both beneficial for the officer because now the officer is able to have these interactions with the public that aren't just related to their job. Mm Because oftentimes we kind of get in this bubble where it's you're either with your family or you're with your cop friends. And only time you're interacting with the public is when you're on the job. And then you have the civilian who may have had negative experiences with law enforcement. And now they are able to uh, see that not all cops are the same and not every cop is bad or whatever their negative experience was. Right. So do you see this, um, how do you see this playing in or, or being implemented? Is it, is it individual officers kind of taking it upon themselves and finding this local, you know, uh, dojo or whatever, whatever art they end up, getting into or do you think that it needs to be agency driven or a combination or what are your thoughts there? I think it should be a two-pronged approach for sure. Right. So, um, and I talk about this, you know, at length in the book, the idea that, uh, first of all, my target as far as my message is to early career officers. So officers fresh out of the police academy, or maybe let's say less than five years on the job, because Mm -hmm. these are the officers that, Generally, I still, you know, you can still kind of mold them and still kind of um, make an impression on them. They still have open ears, whereas sometimes when we get deeper into the field, we can kind of get stuck in stuck in our ways mm-hmm. and in our beliefs systems. So I try to focus on early career officers. And it's that idea that you are responsible for your training. I get it. The agencies should be providing adequate training for the needs of the job. But the reality is right now, you know, many agencies, that's not the case. So it's the officer's responsibility to take it on them upon themselves to make sure they get home to their family at the end of the night. And with that comes consistent training, with that comes finding what your areas of improvement are and working on those areas. So to me, that the first prong of that is, yes, take it upon yourself to get the training that you need and consider the idea of martial arts being that source of training if you are at a department that doesn't give you consistent control tactics. And then from an agency standpoint, just imagine the possibilities when it comes to uh, to literally police community relations, right? If agencies can develop partnerships uh, with different martial arts schools where their officers are training at those schools at, you know, a discount. And so the local business is getting... Uh, they're getting business, but the officers are getting good training. The, the agencies can vet the program, right, the martial arts program, to see if it can meet the general needs of those officers, right? So we have a we have this method of resolving two major issues: the issues of the deficit in training and the issues of police community relations, right? So we can improve both of those within you know within one infrastructure. Not to mention a reduction in lawsuits that can come. <laughs> with offices being more adequately trained in these areas. Yeah. So lawsuits is the first thing that comes to mind when 
you mention an agency kind of vetting an independent um, like martial arts studios training. Um, and so, and, and I think just my initial instinct on that, having been an officer as well, you know that like so much of what police officers do is cover your ass. Like 90% of the reports you take are CYA reports. Um, it's all about minimizing liability. And so I could see the initial reaction from a, you know, a patrol commander or whoever at the agency is kind of like looking at this going, uh, you know, we're not going to use anything that isn't like widely recognized as a, you know, fundamental law enforcement control tactics type of training system because they don't want to take the risk of like an officer using a BJJ move, hurting someone, take, you know, Eric Garner, for example, not, not suggesting that was uh quality BJJ. I'm just saying like, say they're training at a, a dojo, Eric Garner situation happens and they go, well, I've been training here at the direction of my agency. Um, that seems to be that I, I suspect that would be a huge hurdle trying to get departments kind of on board with this. Yeah, I agree with that uh, possibility. But uh, to me, it's one of those things where police officers are problem solvers, mm -hmm. right? We we think outside the box. We have to for, for the job, right? So I don't think that is a hurdle that can't be addressed and, and a solution figured out for it, just as when you are, you know, any pick your control tactics curriculum that you use, right? You have those set techniques with that, within that curriculum. So for an agency that may be concerned about that, right, that's a conversation that they have, right? I'm sure there are plenty of martial arts schools that if the business relationship is right, they, they can develop an entire law enforcement specific program where they offer a certain amount of classes a week for police officers focusing on specific techniques that the agency has agreed upon, right? So that's, that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is, to me, it's not really about the individual technique. It's the attribute that's developed mm -hmm. from the consistency and training, right? So even if an agency decided uh, we don't want we don't want any part in this being associated with our control tactics, then it could be an officer wellness initiative because there are still those benefits of just overall keeping an officer active, right? And the 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 reality of uh, these grappling-based martial arts is while they're remaining active, they're also, again, they're getting uh, experience engaging in a struggle with another person, right? Regardless to what techniques they use. So the officers, the, the agencies can do whatever they need to do to make themselves comfortable with that situation. But I just don't think that potential risk is worth just forgetting about the entire idea. Does that make sense? Right. So yeah. I think if we value it, if we value the idea, we'll come up with solutions to address any of the limitations. For sure. Yeah, 100% agree. And I think a lot of times, again, in my experience, what happens is you have you have officers within the agency that, you know, this is their thing, right? They they love control tactics stuff. They love they're into martial arts or BJJ or whatever it is. And they kind of drive that that movement within the department. Um and you know it it depends on the agency if they're if they're willing to kind of think outside the box and entertain the idea that hey maybe we should look at training um we should go about getting our officers good training 
in a different way than is, you know, traditionally the case, then it works. And then some agencies are just going to be like, you know, no, like you can go do that on your own, but we don't want to know about it, which yeah, is and, unfortunate. And either one of those to me are okay. Right. As long yeah. as, as long as there's, uh, these agencies consider it, consider the idea. And if they support that idea, maybe they don't want to be involved with it, but they recognize the benefit and then they allow their, their offices to be involved. That's fine. But the other thing too, I think that to consider is that there are already many agencies doing this. So learn, learn from other agencies. Like if, if, if one department is concerned about these limitations, go look at Marietta police department, go look at, I think, uh, was Rahway Police Department in Jersey. They just started their own little uh, jujitsu program within their department. I think NYPD has a jujitsu uh, team, right? So there are agencies that are moving forward with these type of initiatives. So maybe this is where we can use the networking and ask, what are some limitations that you've had? And kind of, you know, <laughs> you know tackle this issue together. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's, it's good to hear that some, especially if you got like NYPD doing something like this, you know, take those templates that have been created for you and, and work them into your own agency. Um, and that helps with the, with the CYA aspect, with the liability aspect. Cause you, if you can point to an agency like NYPD or LAPD, um, using something that definitely supports the contention that, Hey, this is this is a vetted approach. There's, there's good reasons for this. We're not just out here, you know, training officers in techniques that aren't, haven't been tested. Yeah. And then you have to do, and you do what works for your agency. Cause not, obviously not every agency is the same. Not every agency has the same culture, but mm. again, you're learning from each other. And NYPD was pretty controversial because, you know, they had the rule where there was like no, no chest to chest connection. Right. And that whole issue, which, you know, as a whole nother conversation. Uh, but I've recently seen several um, several people who have been promoting this. And I don't know if this was formally sponsored by them or if it's just some officers that are part of NYPD that have come together and established a team. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm seeing this initiative on social media a lot with that. And then there's also, for example, uh, Adopt a Cop. This is another popular program, which is a nonprofit where they pay for officers to get training specifically in jujitsu for uh, up until their blue belt. Right. And they and they cover all of the, the cost. Right. So my point is that there are many initiatives in place and there are many agencies that are pushing for these things. So officers uh, can learn from those experiences of others. And I don't just I bring up jujitsu a lot and I feel like I'm kind of becoming kind of building this reputation of being the jujitsu guy. And to me, honestly, it goes beyond an individual art, right? Like, I don't think, I'm not going to say jujitsu is the end all be all to every officer's control tactics problem. That's yeah. not what I'm getting at. But I just think uh, grappling based systems as a whole are, uh, are what I would consider to be ideal mm -hmm. for a police officer. If they would explore a martial art. Like if you were, if, if you listen to this and you were considering possibility of using martial arts to supplement your control tactics. My recommendation will be a foundation in a grappling-based art, like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, like Judo, like wrestling, uh, along with a supplementation of the other ranges. So make sure you know how to uh, at least defend strikes. Make sure you understand <laughs> that in these type of situations, there's always a weapon involved because you bring a weapon, 
right? Make sure you're training in the equipment that you wear and adapting the techniques and the movements to your needs as an officer, right? So mm -hmm. uh, I just want to make sure that that's clear that it's not my belief that it's just like officers go to a random dojo and they train and now their problems are all over with, right? There are tactics that need to be taken into place to adapt their training mm -hmm. and a lot of things to consider. Right. Yeah. That, And I think that's one of my biggest concerns with, you know, you can be great BJJ um, practitioner and, but when you're in a uniform and you've got a gun on your hip or on your vest, wherever, wherever you carry or a taser, um, you know, that that's a whole different ball game. Um, I obviously you're much better prepared for a physical confrontation, but yeah, you definitely, you have to take into those, take into account those considerations and make sure that your, your regular training, you're not building into it automatic responses that are going to put you in a bad situation in the field. If that Absolutely. makes sense. So I want to go back. This is way back to the beginning, but uh, I made a note of it because I, I really think this is uh, it's really interesting um, to me and to I think is important in the conversation just culturally today. And that is, so growing up in the South Side of Chicago, um, you were obviously in an area town. South Side's notorious, for one, um, but also with your experience with that officer, it's obviously a relatively dangerous part of the country, not only Chicago. So, you know, you have you have a gang jumping you. You have your experience with a police officer, and you're going, how how can I protect myself? Well, so many kids in that position end up as part of a gang because that's how that's their response um, to that question: How do I protect myself? Well, these guys um, are the ones out here you know, they're, they're the, they're the big dogs. So I'm going to be part of that. So what kept you from kind of following that path as a kid? Um, to be honest with you, this is why I say it's ironic that, that all of this was full circle. I believe it was martial arts, right? Because mm -hmm. um, like, if I get my time in correctly, it was like, I started martial arts pretty much right after I had the experience with the game. And then literally like the following years when I had the experience with law enforcement. So it was all within the same period of time. And so for me, you know, I found that sense of family. I found that sense of community, both in training martial arts and with the people that I was training with. I mean, it was a very unique program mm -hmm. um, in that there were a, a fair amount of instructors. It was a nonprofit program. So the idea was to help youth uh, find alternatives, you know, to these type of things. So it was nonprofit. It was part of a park district. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm in this environment where there's, I don't know, probably six to seven different instructors, uh, many of them black men, right, mm -hmm. who were teaching me to protect myself, right? So I think I just found community within that. Uh, not to mention I had a mother who uh, was very involved in, in my life and very much she... Uh, she didn't play those type of games, right? So, <laughs> so, so that whole idea of, of trying to get into that life, uh, my mother wasn't really, really having that, right? So, so I think those were some protective, protective factors for me in that. And, and I don't know, I, I always thought that whole mentality was pretty cowardly, to be honest with you, right? The whole idea of, of, of a gang and, you know, I don't know, it, it's just, it never really was something that, that I was even attracted to in the, in the first place. 
Gotcha. So would you say that the the male instructors were kind of took the place of like a male role model or father figure as a kid? Yes. Yes, I would say so. So my um so I had some male influences, but my biological father was was pretty in and out of my life throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, with that came some 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 tension, but um, but yeah, so I definitely would say they kind of feel a lot of those roles as far as having positive male role models, you know, in my life. And then, and obviously what helped with that was, you know, positive role models who I, I truly looked up to because, you know, they were talented martial artists. So, I mean, they, they had so much skill. It was like, I want to be that, you know, I want to do that. So, uh, for sure. I think that played a major role. Yeah, and that that seems like it would be a great place for police officers if they enjoy martial arts and they like training to have a, a massive impact. Because really what we're talking about is exactly where we started with defund, right? We're talking about an, a nonprofit that was taking kids off the street and giving them something, the, giving them the community that they needed, right? I mean, so you're a product of this idea that we need more than just cops. Because, you know, the cops responding after shit has hit the fan, like that can only do so much. Absolutely. And, you know, ironically, there's actually some programs, I believe it's called the US, USA Judo Program. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm not mistaken, they actually have something like that where, you know, they have a training program for officers, but they also have some officers that have youth programs. Like they hope the, the infrastructure is set up where, they have officers training young people in the community as well in judo, right? So, uh, so even from that standpoint, that could be a potential, you know, long term thing, right? If we if we had a society or a culture, even in a particular region where officers were actively training, and then we had opportunities for it to be a community policing initiative, right. you know, even where officers are exposing youth to martial arts. So, I mean, there's so much potential, you know, with uh, with this whole realm of, of the martial arts and connecting it to the law enforcement community. Yeah. So we've got like five minutes left before we're just going to get cut off without any say in that. So um, where can people find you? You mentioned your book, Stop Resisting. Where's the best place to get that? And then where where can people reach out to you if they want to um, know more, they want to support what you're what you're doing? Okay. Uh, the best place to reach out to me would be jeremybutlerphd.com, www.jeremybutler, J-E-R-E-M-Y-B-U-T-L-E-R-P-H-D.com. That's my personal website uh, that has my book, uh, information on my book, along with all of my speaking engagement services and trainings that I offer for law enforcement as well as civilians. And the book is also available on amazon.com. Uh, so yeah, so I would say that's that would be the the perfect starting point. Awesome, I will make sure to include that in the show notes. Um, and I just want to again say thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for reaching out to us. Uh, I, I love your story. Love how you have chosen to take your experiences and and make the world a better place. Um, I think there's no question that you're doing that. So thanks for doing what you're doing. Thanks for coming on the show, and we we really appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right. That's a wrap for this one, ladies and gents. Thanks again for being here. Huge thank you to Dr. Jeremy Butler for coming on the show. He actually squeezed us in between two college courses he is teaching today. So 
Uh, big thanks there. And last but not least, don't forget to go check out our good, strong, free line of merch at the policeacademypodcast.com website. Uh, I, I just gave you the website, policeacademypodcast.com. Go to the store. You can see our, our line of merch there. Um, I put a lot of thinking and design work into our logo for the good, strong, free line. Uh, so I'm curious if it resonates with all of you um, and if it makes sense to all of you. There's there's some subtleties in there that um, mean a lot to me. So um, go check it out, policeacademypodcast.com, and uh, we'll see you all on the next one. As always, do good, be strong, stay free.